do you live there? Uh, I not for much longer. Not for much longer. I think this no? is gonna be my last year. I've been having like work is going great, but the man, the kids suck this year, and they're only getting worse. So I'm just like, I think I don't want to be a kindergarten teacher anymore. So back to that's Canada. fair. Yeah, yeah. Save up as much money as I can, and you know, go come back home, go to grad school or something. Yeah, I'm looking at grad school for the ne- in the next like two two years probably too. Yeah. But it's a bitch and it costs so much money. I know. I just I, I feel I feel bad because I just got like a grown up like crazy good job paycheck kind of thing going on and I'm just oh. like I'm not going back to school. Fuck all of you guys. Like yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm still in the sad like I work at the university and I still get my junior graphic designer like videographer photographer stuff that's so cheap i'm so i should i'm worth so much more money <laughs> right when i find a nice place to land i'll hook you up you can be my junior i don't want to be a junior no more no i can be i can maybe i can find you an intermediate spot then okay we'll, we'll work on we'll work on your stuff i know <laughs> you just have to find the time to do more than like a two-hour podcast a week without freaking out so what <gasps> what or answer a text message christy I'm sorry. When have I not answered your text messages? It might be two days later, but I still do it. <laughs> All right, everybody. Uh, welcome back to Dance Robot Dance. Uh, I'm Mark. Uh, I'll be hosting, I guess, tonight because everybody seems to be hosting all fucking willy-nilly these days. So what the hell? Um, I'm here with Christy. Holla. That was weird. I'm sorry. Just hi. <laughs> <laughs> um... And because Tim has absconded for the week to fucking California to go do Disneyland and beaches and all kinds of beautiful things that I'm seeing on Instagram, so fuck you, Tim. Uh, we've we've reenlisted my little brother from Korea, so Paul's here. Hey, everybody. Yay, Paul! Yay! Also, I, I wanted to point out that Christy was kind of jealous that, she, that we did two episodes with Paul and she didn't get to do one, so I thought this would be a good time to kind of, like, bring Christy into the Paul fold. Woo! Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, I was genuinely upset. I was like, <laughs> yeah. she, she gave me shit. She's like, you guys did two fucking episodes without me, but you, with Paul, why? And I was like, well, because you weren't around. So <laughs> I'm sorry, I wasn't around one week. Let's just get <laughs> yeah. that clear. One well, we did the week bonus episode. Because I was in an improv show, I was in another production, and I was trying to have a full time job. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I'm just like I'm living large. Okay. I'm sorry that I'm. This is just who I am. <laughs> Are you drunk already? No, I'm not drunk. You're gonna get <laughs> just sassy. Just sassy. Just <laughs> sassy. <laughs> Sassier than usual. Yeah. Well, you uh, know what's sassier than usual is that um, you're gonna have to. Uh, you're gonna have to adjust how much you talk tonight, Mark, because we had a complaint about how much you cut off your brother in that I one know. episode. You really? I know. Well, that's why I picked a topic that I have very little to say about, so I can just let you two fucking ramble on for a good part of the night, and I can sit here and drink the rest of these Heinekens that my dad bought for me. So, wait, who complained that you were cutting me off? Uh, I don't know. People. Yeah, oh. was it a couple? Fuck you! It was one person. <laughs> couple people behind the scenes. Uh. I'm doing this like I'm doing a visual gag where I'm like covering my mouth and speaking to the microphone, but both of them can hear me clearly and see you clearly. <laughs> yeah. What are you even talking about, guys? <laughs> visual gags on an audio podcast. Yeah, Christy's gonna do really well on SNL when she gets there in her dreams. <laughs> yeah, I've already right. visited, but all I ever do is watch. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> to the audience. 
that was that was mean. I'm sorry. Uh, but yes. How are you guys doing this week? Good. 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 Paul, it's not not Paul's very not concerned about the imminent imminent threat of uh, catastrophic violence going on in his country. South Korea, there's no there's no catastrophic violence in the like in terms of North Korea. Like this is just an every year we have to deal with the the. This saber like, rattling, saber rattling every year, and we uh, like the uh, the administration of every uh, Korean pi- private school that we teach at says like maybe the kids will ask about North Korea, but don't worry about it. Every year it's the same, and it's true. Like we like South Korea just trucks along, and North Korea does its thing, and they like show off their their missile dongs and do their <laughs> and do their thing and we just like keep going so it's fine we're no one's worried um it's just with i'm more worried about the orange menace from the west as opposed to uh the, whatever's happening up north to be honest we are also somewhat concerned by the trump of things up here so yeah yeah Although like we are... everywhere is shitty <laughs> yeah. yeah hey no wait 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 they are legalizing weed in Canada. Like we're good to oh, fucking go. Oh, that's happening. Yeah. Yeah. They they they're putting the legislation through. Like they've they've shown it to the public now. So it's. Yay. We'll all be able to get stoned legally in Canada soon enough. So Paul, when you come home, you should be able to just wake and bake, just like the rest of us will be. Oh, good. Uh, but I heard that the the punishment for selling to minors is like really extreme. So as it should be. I agreed. But. As someone who sold cigarettes at convenience stores for, like, a good chunk of my teenage life, um, it's, like, a lot of... While you were underage, no less. Yeah. I could could have still gotten fined for selling cigarettes to minors. So it was really uh, kind of a huge pain in the ass. Uh, And, but, so, like, getting, like, 14 years in jail for accidentally selling marijuana to a minor. I know that these are going to be, like, government-run facilities and stuff like that, but they're still going to be asshole kids with fake IDs. Um, I don't know. Yeah, but I don't know, like, that you get caught, you know, if if you're genuinely, um, you know, under the impression. It's not like they're going to put you in court if you're like, uh... No, I swear to God, like, I, I mean, some people might, but they're going to be repeat offenders. Yeah, that's probably like, true. It's the same thing with the LCBO, right? They have to regulate it somehow, and sometimes you get slapped on the wrist, and you don't really often hear of a person going to jail for 14 years for selling to a minor unless it's someone that they knew or it was a, you know, a regular offense and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, here's hoping that it just works out and everyone gets just even more chill in Canada because there's pot everywhere. That's true. Yeah. We're pretty chill as it is. Like of all the world leaders right now, I'm I'm kind of okay with having Justin Trudeau cuz like he's pretty laid back. Yeah. It's a bit of a med- he's a bit of an attention whore, but I mean he's yeah. not as big an attention whore as like Trump is. So and I the guess the attention that he's garnering isn't like, you know, because he's setting off missiles and can't yeah. remember the name of the country that he just Shot misses at. Oh god. <laughs> uh, All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to news that we will actually enjoy talking about, as opposed oh, to being kind of depressed as we as per Ooh, usual. Also, I don't want Tim to turn this episode off five minutes into it, so <laughs> I'm assuming he'll listen to it eventually and be like, "Oh fuck, you guys started talking about that shit, and I had to turn it off." Um, so I have a small list here. So the first thing, and this is earlier in the week, so we'll get to the exciting stuff 
eventually, but mm-hmm. uh, Josh Brolin is now going to be Cable in Deadpool 2. I'm cool with that. I'm also cool with it. I thought he was going to be Thanos for some reason. He, he is. is Thanos. Thanos, sorry. I don't know why I said Thay. But and then why why is he in both? This is the uh, the controversy, I guess, is that everyone, like, a lot of people are were are always hoping that the superhero movies will be launch pads for, like, new action stars or, like, someone who hasn't gotten their due yet. So having Josh Brolin... They kind of have been in some ways. And, and mostly they have. So this is why, like, like, who gave a shit about Chris Hemsworth until he was Thor? Like... It, it well, look, Chris Man Pratt who, became an action action hero because of Guardians of the Galaxy, right? Like he became a viable movie guy because of that movie. And exactly. him as Mandy. Yeah, me too. I love Parks and Rec, but it's uh, so good. Yeah, but uh, I think that Josh Brolin just looks like Cable. He looks the part, and I think he's going to do a good job. So I just I'm okay with it just being a good movie, and I hope that he does a great job. Well, he's also worked for Warner Brothers. He was Jonah Hex, if I'm not mistaken, wasn't he? Oh, yeah. Yeah, see? So he's he's worked on, like, all three sides of the fence, I guess, at this point? Because with the yeah. Fox kind of weird little mini fence between Marvel properties? Yeah. So He's been all over the place. Yeah, so the, the a lot of the grief that fanboys have had is that, oh, well, he, like, j- give someone else a chance. And, like, well, if he's the right cast, then he's the right cast. And if he wants to, like, um, enjoy... The, the plentiful superhero uh, thing that's happening right now in the movies, then so be it, mm. in my opinion. Because just enjoy that while you can. Yeah, so it should be... I'm, I'm excited to see him go toe-to-toe with Ryan Reynolds and uh, run his yeah, mouth. Yeah, it'll, or... it'll be enjoyable, to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. As long as they... Uh, get that patter down between the two of them and like I think it's going to be fantastic mm-hmm. well it's it's like the old Cable cable versus Deadpool or Cable and Deadpool comic series that they had going on where it doesn't really need to even have patter it can just be Josh Brolin well Cable I guess kind of I don't know glaring at Wade while he just fucking rambles on constantly so yeah it'll be nice to have a nor- like a kind of normal straight man instead of that version of Colossus that they had in Deadpool um cause yeah. I I I liked Deadpool a lot, but um, having Colossus and uh, that version of Negasonic Teenage Warhead in there was so I don't know. That was the only off-putting thing f- for me in that movie. So like having a straight up like buddy cop uh, dynamic, I think is going to be even better than what they had in the first movie. Hmm. I agree. Yeah. Cool, cool. Um, the next thing on my little list here, uh, apparently Watchmen is getting an R-rated animated adaption. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I don't know how like in-depth it is, and they haven't mentioned either. Uh, obviously, Alan Moore won't fucking touch any of this kind of stuff, so don't expect any involvement from him. But like, I haven't seen anything about Dave Gibbons being involved either. Like, he was kind of attached to the mostly mediocre, I know Tim will defend it, in the afterwards, but it was kind of not the greatest movie. Um, J- Zack Snyder thing that came out was that 2005? Oh, it's been God, a while. Was it that long ago? Yeah, it might be. I think it was. Yeah. So that's kind of interesting. Like DC's really rolling into these R-rated movies. Like they've done the Killing Joke. Um, I know the the Dark Knight Returns one was PG-13, but it was pretty grim in terms of stuff. It's nice that they're doing these animated movies and like doing the 
more mature books animated adaptions and not toning them down at all and like just sticking with the r rating yeah mm-hmm. i think that's a good strategy because you know like besides deadpool um like now that deadpool has been such a success like they're moving back into r-rated live action films which is great but um i think that it's still a pretty huge gamble and they've already done watchmen and to kind of like varying degrees of success in that yeah. I, I really didn't like that movie very much. But, I hated Watchmen thank you. Yeah it wasn't good like bad I, just, I it was too it was at, too close to the, the comic while at the same time not doing all the good things that the comic did um, I just I thought that it was poorly acted I thought the script was bad I thought the effects were amazing but I thought like most of it I was just disappointed yeah I agree and so having uh, the animated versions, um, I think it's a good thing for DC to continue doing, especially for, like, because we could get something really cool, like uh, Miracle Man or... Uh, oh, if they could untangle the knot that is the Miracle Man rights and, like, actually make a movie out of that, I would love it. But the likeliness of that actually happening is probably slim to none. yeah. But a guy can dream. And if they keep doing it, then maybe that'll be something that they can prioritize one day. Or, like, Transmetropolitan or any number of other things, you know? Yeah, that, I'm still waiting for the HBO show, Transmetropolitan. That would be I, that would be total money. Yeah. Um, moving right along. Uh, so the next thing, I don't know if I should talk about the X-Men Gold controversy. Did you hear about this, Paul? Yes, I did. Um, so... I- yeah. I kind of want Tim to be around for it, but we can talk about it quickly. It was just like an artist, um, this is Artie and CF, uh, inserted anti-Semitic messaging into X-Men Gold number one. Yeah. Um, and has since been terminated by Marvel. Um, yeah. Especially uh, in a in a issue where uh, the leader of the X-Men Gold team is Kitty Pride, who is a... A proud Jew. Very... Yeah, yeah, proud Jew. Um, yeah. Which still, I sounds sounds weird when I say it. It's proudly Jewish. Should we say it, we say it that way? Yeah, Jew. <laughs> it's like say the whole word as Andy say the whole word, Pierce. Yeah. <laughs> um. <laughs> yeah. Oh no. man, that's the yeah. first Twitter reference we've made in forever. It is actually we had we were we were talking about what were we talking about before? Oh yeah, we'll talk about that in a minute. But um, yeah, we have another returning joke I think this week. So. Yeah, I heard uh, about this through because I follow uh, G Willow Wilson on Twitter, and she's a great yeah she she's a great writer, and she uh, she's Muslim, and she was uh, she did a lot of research and gave a lot of good background information on her on her blog and what and she actually went through that part of the scripture and how it was translated into English and various other languages and how it's. Uh, like it was just super uh unprofessional and it never should have yeah. happened and i think they terminated his contract yeah yeah he was on a, he was on an exclusive with marvel and i think he got he got let go i mean i under like and now and now like no western publisher will touch him right so like right. and i think that x men of course is a very political story um but like outright like but it's the complete opposite message of what x-men is about x-men is about inclusivity and like accepting people for who they are and not caring about those kinds of boundaries and and it was it was a good book i actually read uh that issue this week and it was like it was well written so i was like well this 
I mean, it'll be good for the writer because he'll be attached to it in terms of controversy and be like, I had nothing to do with the art, obviously. So, yeah. like, he'll have that very high-selling number one in his portfolio, but at the same time, it'll be kind of... It'll totally be marred by the fact that, like, this is what made it that... Yeah. Felt, like, well-selling, as opposed to it because of how good it actually ended up being. Yeah, and, mm. and it's really disappointing because there's such, like... There's great... There are great X-Men of every religion... From all over the world, like uh, the, I think the most high-profile uh, Islamic X man or X woman is Dust, and she's pretty yeah. cool. She was in the New Mutants, uh, and like it's it just really frustrates me because X Men is supposed to be like a message of hope and unity and inclusion. And, yeah, exactly. Inclusion. Yeah. So boo on anti-Semitic messages in X Men. Garbage. <laughs> all right. Um, getting away from the, the dour news, um, we have two trailers we should talk about, but first, did you guys hear that Invincible is being made into a movie? Paul, what? did you hear this? I did not hear this. That's amazing. I'm excited. Yeah, apparently Seth Rogen and his writing partner are going to be like writing and producing it. Uh-huh. I don't know anything else about it. Robert Kirkman has, like, gone on record as being like, I'm extremely excited that we finally found the right people to, like, do this movie because he gets asked a lot about it. He's like, okay, great. You have walking dead on TV and it's awesome. And everybody loves it. But where's your other property? Like, why is this not getting made into something? Because now like superhero movies are everywhere and invincible is an awesome superhero story. So like yeah. do the fucking movie already. So I guess it's, <laughs> it's coming down the pipe now, which is extremely exciting. Yeah. Um, I, I guess invincible is such a weird, big story. Um, yeah. with, like so intergalactic, lots of, like they've done Superman movies before, but Invincible is not. It's a little bit more high octane, a lot more action in the on the panels. And it might have to be hard R if they want to make it like that level of violence. Like they go to like extremes in the violence in that book. Like they rip each other apart in those super fights. So it's yeah. it's so well told though. Like it's just like it's they earn that level. You know what I mean? Like it's not, it doesn't feel gratuitous. It is kind of gratuitous in some ways, but it doesn't always yeah. feel gratuitous. So I'm hype as fuck for that. Like I will be there day one for an invincible movie. Yeah. I think they, they established the stakes of the battles in invincible pretty early on. Like you're not dealing, like if you're dealing with Superman levels of powers for almost every character, like planet smashing and ripping people apart seems more realistic than the, kind of PG-rated violence that you see in a Superman book. So, like, yeah, I'm. Uh, that's great. I'm really excited for an Invincible movie. That's good. Yeah. Okay, so, uh, next news, uh, we've talked about Invincible, we've talked about Josh Brolin, we've talked about shitty X-Men artists and Watchmen. Um, two trailers came out this week, um, and the hype is fucking all over the charts, so, did you guys both see the Thor and Star Wars trailers? <laughs> So first, I mean, we're we're fresh off like literally Star Wars hit like 15 seconds ago, Uh more or less for all of us. Yeah, I can't believe I was the first one to publish it. It's because you know Tim's away on vacation. Tim was away on vacation, and I was kind of trying to get set up and eat and stuff like that before we did this. So, and I was was asleep because I'm in Korea. So, (laughs) yeah. As Uh, soon as I woke um, up, I was like, oh my god. Yeah, I, I, I've watched uh, the Kevin Smith reacts to it, though. Let's just talk about that one. So what did you guys think? Like, are you guys fucking, like, over the moon now? Like, are you ready for Star Wars to come out? I am pumped. Yeah. I like that it didn't really show you anything. I was, I, I know it's just a teaser, and I'm sure there will be a, a final trailer that would just, like, 
pretty much explained to you everything that happens in the movie, like normally happens. But like right now, that trailer was just like that gave me just enough of a taste that I was just like, I am fucking rock hard and ready for this like this party to happen. So yes, Luke yeah. Skywalker training Ray uh, style. It's gonna be so yeah. good. I was um I was pretty pumped just because uh, I really loved the intro with just hearing Luke say like breathe. I was like, yeah. oh, Mark Hamill, you're so wonderful. Yeah, he's. Uh, I'm glad he's going to be involved uh, throughout the whole movie too. So, because yeah. that was kind of a bummer, like waiting through all of Episode Seven. The only thing I really had bad to say, and I'm sure we've trashed Episode Seven for other reasons, because that seems to be what Dance Robot Dance does, is find the one, one or two small things that we can latch onto and shit on them, and that's what we do <laughs> for the rest of the episode. Um, but that was my that my small qualm with Episode Seven. Uh, was that Mark Hamill was not used more, like, didn't get to interact with, like, Han again, like, that kind of stuff. I would have yeah. really enjoyed seeing that. Yeah. Um, I think that, and it really bums me out, because I think Mark Hamill, of the three mains in Star Wars, uh, got the rawest deal in terms of, like, he didn't do a lot of live-action film after the fact, um, because he no. was Luke Skywalker. Um, so, but well, he also uh, had that scarring too that probably didn't help. Like he had that accident that yeah. they explained away in Jedi, but I don't know if it would have done him any favors. True. Trying yeah. to be in Hollywood in the '80s at that point, like I don't yeah. know. So, um, the his voice acting work uh, on the animated series, though, on Batman. Um, Oh. Obviously, oh, he's, Joker. Uh. he's obviously an amazing actor, and I'm so excited to see him interact with Daisy Ridley because I, I, I really love her. I thought she was fantastic as Ray, and um, just seeing him being like a kind of dour mentor figure um, when he was like the plucky, whiny kid in Star Wars. Yeah, he really uh, was. He, yeah, he. <laughs> I just remember. Oh. Uh, all the reasons you'd want to slap Luke Skywalker. There's like a list on track or something, <laughs> like him whining about his uh, uncle and aunt. Like a lot of the the complaints that Luke had were pretty legit, but he was kind of a whiny bitch throughout the first movie. So. But he wants to go to Tashi Station and get power converters. <laughs> he, he was the Harry Potter of, of Star Wars. Yeah. Well, can we? Can we? Jesus Christ. Well, Harry I'm just Potter. Saying, a, a whiny bitch lead character. Harry no, Potter saying. was the Luke Skywalker of Harry okay, Potter. Okay, yeah, that's true. But, like, yeah. I'm just saying. Fucking millennials. <laughs> oh. And you're Harry Potter. No, I'm just saying, like, as a. You you get it. It's fine. I, I, it's, we, I understand. It's a comparison. I understand. I understand. I just. Star Wars came first. The Holy Trilogy <laughs> came first. And I'm not even a huge Star Wars fan, but I'm still like. Harry Potter again? Here we go. Oh, we're don't don't worry. What? There will be more Harry Potter. There's always more Harry Potter. Oh, I know. I know we're going to talk about Harry Potter tonight. I, I'm I, I, as soon as I said that topic, I'm like, I regret this. <laughs> I regret this. Anyway, um, so Star Wars thumbs up. We're all good to go. Like everybody's fucking super hyped up now. One hundred percent hyped. Awesome. Yeah, I think it looks fantastic. Um, Thor. Was I, I thought it was an amazing trailer. I just want to say I was fucking right because there was we did an episode a couple weeks ago where I maybe it was probably Tim. So Tim, I was fucking right. Um, where Tim was like, I don't know if I like the way it looks or blah blah blah, and I was like, No no no, this looks like it's gonna be a fucking party. It's gonna be awesome. It looks like so much fun. I am in. And now they put this trailer out, and I'm just like, This is fucking awesome. It looks so fun. 
Like I, yeah. it it like Guardians of the Galaxy level fun. Um, That's what I was. I, I was saying that this week. I was like, it looks like the Guardians of the Galaxy guys got to get their hands on Thor and make yeah. it cosmic and crazy. Yeah, and I was yeah. no, it looks amazing. I was a little bit uh, like the second Guardians of the Galaxy trailer like i guardians of the galaxy volume 2 i am excited for it don't get me wrong um but the trailers didn't do much for me um they were funny but they didn't like but this one like the the that last shot with the hulk coming in and he's like i know him from work just i love that line that like kills me yeah no that was amazing i love the fact that they're letting chris hemsworth do the goofy side of thor like that um like, you know those remember those shorts? I don't know if we talked about them on the on the show at all, but they did those like a couple shorts where he's like living in Australia with like his random roommate that he doesn't pay and like leaves Mjolnir yeah. laying around so that the guy can't vacuum properly because he's not worthy <laughs> to pick up a fucking hammer and stuff like that. Yeah. I love love that side of Chris Hemsworth's like personality where he just does weird wacky shit. Yeah. And it's awesome that I get to at least kind of maybe not use it all the time, but at least hint or play with it a little bit in the new Thor movie. So Yeah. I think he's got really good comic timing, but uh, yeah, he, yeah I, I'm excited for that. Really funny in Ghostbusters too. So yes, like, he was. He and Kate McKinnon, amazing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and can we just talk about how badass Kate Blanchett looks in that trailer? Yeah, uh, she, she looks she, awesome. She her yeah her costume is amazing and she looks threatening as hell. Yeah. And I'm so glad that we've got you know I hope that they don't play her too like super serious. Like she is supposed to be a serious villain, but like Kate Blanchett is an amazing actress. She's oh got, my god, um, she's amazing. I I could watch her read the phone book, but um, I I I. Given that it's this kind of... I don't want her to be another Lee Pace from the first Guardians of the Galaxy movie where he was kind of a boring villain. Like, there's so many boring villains in the Marvel Universe, and I don't want her to be another one on that list. Um, no. Because, like, only... When you think about it, the only really dynamic villain that we've had in the Marvel Universe, uh, Marvel Cinematic Universe, is Loki. And... Uh, there's so many talented actors who could, you know, fill that role too, a little bit. But yeah, go Kate Blanchett. <laughs> I'm just like I'm. I've loved her since I saw her. Like I, I came in late to the Kate Blanchett game, but I saw her in um, what's it called, uh, Elizabeth, and just oh. fell in love. Yeah, that was her first big movie, um, and. Yeah, she. This is her first foray, I think, into like really genre weird like stuff. Like she's usually mm-hmm. a like, um, you're really. Was she not in Lord of the Goddamn Rings? Uh, you're she totally was, right. but even in that, like as Galadriel, she was still a pretty like relatively normal character considering everything. She was a fucking like. Fairy witch queen. I don't she know how you can see She was an elf. How right, dare sorry, you? Elf. Oh, I know. Queen. Sorry. You do not belong on this podcast. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I think I made a joke about that already this week. Where aren't yeah. you guys just trying to replace me with Paul now? Isn't that how it's supposed to work? Well, he would talk over us less probably and be nicer to me. <laughs> yeah, but then the podcast would be boring. So. Actually, oh. we'll, we'll have to tell you a story at some point about Paul's drunken predilection for harassing young women? Uh, 
Previously. Not in a weird, <laughs> not not in a sexual way. Obviously. A, but in a, how shall we put it? Um, maliciously gay. jerk off, mean gay way. Yeah. Why? Gay. Because that's Paul. <laughs> when my inhibitions are lower, like I, I you know, like I've, if you've ever watched RuPaul's Drag Race, they have these things called reads where you like just you know insult people. So reading in shade. You know, it's you got you got to build that up when you're a young gay in a conservative town. Got to get so anyway. I'm not proud of it, but it's it's not just a little proud. It's uh, it's not just about women. I read everybody. Paul has been known to to throw Prince levels of shade uh, (laughs) when he's like really inebriated and decides he's found a suitable target. I guess. It's not always women. That's I think that that is mischaracterization. But the 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 ones that have been the most egregiously noticeable have been when you are targeting random women that are in the our group. That's uh, accurate. accurate. I don't know about that. Also, well, those I, are the I, times where I've had to actually get involved and make sure you didn't get your teeth kicked down your throat. So mm, moving right along. Anyway, um, so yeah, Geek of the week. Oh wait, no, you wanted to talk about something, didn't you? We're still oh. talking. I thought we were still talking about Thor. Yeah, I'm keep talking about Thor if you guys want to keep talking about Thor. Yeah, I just the the director for the Thor movie is like this really weird New Zealander, Australian director guy, and okay. he's done some really weird indie films that have been pretty good. I think Eagle versus Shark was his most famous. Oh, one. nice. Um, if you're that has uh, Jermaine Clement from. Uh, Wait, he's the guy who directed Into the Shadows. Is have you not seen Into the Shadows? No. Oh, oh my god, it's so good. You need to watch it. You need to watch it tonight. You need to watch it. It's so good. It's Jermaine at his absolute finest. They're like, it's this um, documentary about following vampires, but like, it's so goofy. I have heard of it. I just haven't it's seen it. It's outstandingly funny. It was my favorite movie of 2016. Hands down, no questions. Like, it was brilliant and i think it's that guy who's directing it and he's just Mm -hmm. like his comedic timing that's why that's probably why they hired him was because he's just brilliant when it comes to um any sort of uh like way to mock but that everyone can appreciate yeah like i just i don't it into the shadows was just one of the best movies i've seen in so long it was so good i can't recommend it highly enough and if he's directing thor we are in for a goddamn treat well it's too bad that christy recommended that it means i can't watch it now uh, <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. no i'm actually that, that sounds awesome i totally want to watch that, that sounds it's fantastic. so good it's so good. I just can't describe it. Like, I, I, it's so good. Taika Waititi is the name of the director. And, yeah, What We Do in the Shadows. I, what We yes, Do in the I Shadows. Have, yeah. I, I'm, I'm really, really excited for him being, like, it, it, I think it shows me that Marvel is willing to take some chances with their direction. Directing? And, yeah. that's, the third, that's the third Thor director, because Kenneth Branagh directed the first one, and mm-hmm. some random dude that directed Game of Thrones directed uh, Dark World. What the hell was that movie called, the second one? Was that Thor? The Dark World. It was the Dark World. Yeah. yeah. It was okay. It was all right. And then, um, so this is like the third Thor director, whereas like it, even um, Iron Man had the same director for the first two, and then got Shane Black to do three, and then Cap had, I don't remember who directed, Joe Johnston directed the first one, 
and the Russo brothers um, used all that as almost like their proof of concept uh, for two movies before they ended up landing what will be like the probably the biggest movie of all time with Infinity War, right? Like they're gonna yeah. be moved up to the top of that director list. That's just like. Yeah. Steven Spielberg, George Lucasy kind of territory where it's like we make blockbuster movies now because they've done two huge blockbuster movies with the Captain America movies, mm-hmm. and now they're going to get to do like, do you know what they're actually saying? I, I heard this week how much they're spending on the Infinity War movies, like mm-hmm. the back to back filming of it. How much? A billion dollars. What? Good yeah, God. there's they, the fucking budget on those movies. All told, is a billion dollars for both movies. That's mm. that's crazy. It's insanity it's an investment <laughs> it's a huge if, like if they each like if that means they cost half a billion dollars each and they make one point say they make a billion each because they will because they're avengers movies right and this is like this is the end game for the avengers movies right like this is the what all this has been building up to is infinity wars right like having thanos finally come down and having yeah everybody so. get together and have that fucking fight and Mm. I guess this is the movie to throw a billion dollars out. Like, you knew it was going to happen eventually where they were going to spend that ludicrous amount, an amount of money to make a movie. And, like, it, it was probably going to be Disney because Disney's got all the fucking money anyway. That's and true. it's why not spend it on. They're not, they don't need to spend it that much on Star Wars. So they were probably going to spend that much. And most of it's probably cast just to get all of that cast into one movie. Because, like, yeah. Yeah, think of true. the muscle. All those contracts are starting to come up. So now they've got to pay. RDJ probably, I bet you, ten to twenty percent of that billion goes just straight into his bank account, like just to get him to come back. Yeah, and then you got to pay like all those guys now. Like that's a good point. Your beloved Benedict Cumberbatch needs to get fucking paid. I love him, I love him so much. Yeah. Your 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 beloved Chris Pratt needs to get paid now. He's a all 10 million dollar guy. Yeah, all, all the Chris's need to get paid. Like Hemsworth, <laughs> Evans, all Scarlet. those guys got to get paid. Scarlet's got to get paid. ScarJo, yeah, she's got to get the bank. So, like, they got to bring all those guys in. You got to give Sam Jackson a nut. Like, everybody's got to get some money for this, and it's going to come out of that billion somehow or another. Yeah, that's true. That's a good point. I mean, it's just, it's funny, because, like, the Lord of the Rings didn't even cost that much, did it? No, I think that the total budget on that was, like, 350 or 400 million dollars to do those three movies or something like that. Yeah. Maybe 500 million total. I can't remember anymore. I'd have to look it up. Tim would know, or he would be able to yell at Alicia, and That's she true. would know. And then she would shame us for not knowing. Yeah, yes. And then probably threaten to eat you or something. Terrifying. Yeah, probably accurate. And we would laugh. Uh, and then I wouldn't come back on the podcast for two weeks. <laughs> Is that what happened last time? Mm-hmm. Huh, interesting. Oh. That's right. Oh, sorry. The first time it happened, that's what happened. Anyway. Um... Was there anything else? Do you guys have anything else you want to talk about? I know Paul had something you wanted to, to bring up. Um, for uh, video game news, um, the big release for, you know, JRPG fans or uh, was Persona 5. Uh, oh, I heard. Yep, yeah, that's a big deal. It's uh, it, it was released a while ago in Japan and finally got localized. Um, it's... It is strange how popular this series has become. It's kind of like overtaken Final Fantasy as one of the premier really? RPG series. Um, yeah, like our uh, Final Fantasy is a little bit more uh, beginner friendly. Like Persona, the Persona games are notoriously difficult to beat, and but they're also um, kind of like a 
the the dating simulator where you, or like a Mass Effect game where you have a lot of like dialogue trees and stuff like that. Um, it's so you live the the day to day life of a high schooler um, who also f- um, fights crime at night. Um, and has these weird spirit things that let you cast magic and stuff. It is, it shouldn't be as popular as it is, but uh, yes, it wild. should. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> it's so it's so good. But the the only problem I have with playing the Persona games is that there is a best way to play it and like answer the question. So it pings my perfectionist uh, gaming. Ah. Like Tim would not be able to play these games because of his one hundred percent completion thing he would okay. be spending 140 hours playing this game just to get everything right so see that's funny because like um that's kind of why i like games like dragon age and witcher because it it forces you to and, and mass effect it forces you to make um legitimate like judgment calls mm-hmm. and i find that to be more exciting than just running around and grinding for hours yeah um and per, persona like your your power in battle is uh, mm-hmm. attached to your social links so all the, oh cool so the the more friendly you are with certain characters the uh the stronger you become so you have to choose who you hang out with during the day um you have to choose to like read on the subway if you instead of listening to music so that ah! you can boost your intelligence and things like that so it's kind of it's it's a really weird niche game that got really really popular and the art style is incredible so my friend rose plays it constantly and she loves it she's always talking to me about it and i I, i've never picked it up but i've heard that it's just outstandingly good yeah persona 5 they're all individual stories and persona 5 is probably the best time to jump on uh yeah now so if if you're interested persona 5 would be a good place to start when Paul mentioned this to me, I uh, started looking at it, and I was immediately like, I'm watching a video, and I'm just waiting for either the uh, the tentacles to come out for some reason, though, because <laughs> it does have that, like, haunted high school, like, setup that, like, the, the Japanese tentacle porn kind of movies would end up having for some reason, and it's just yeah. got that kind of look and feel to it, and I'm just like, wait, somebody's getting raped by an octopus, right? Is that what's going to happen next? No. All right. Yeah. It's been a long time since we've had a tentacle porn joke on on Dance Robot Dance, but I'm glad we brought it back. You brought it back. We didn't. I brought it back. Well, oddly enough, like in Persona 4, there is... um, Oh, the, wait, is there a tentacle rape scene? No, okay, so the story the storyline is, like, the individual characters who you recruit into your party, they have, um, they are the boss fights in this game, because they have, like, these social anxiety issues that manifest as these giant demons, and one of them is a, a guy, a gay guy, who who's, um, you go into his brain, basically, that's the dungeon, and you see that it's a gay bathhouse in Japan, and that oh. his, his anxiety issue is from his sexuality, and you kind of have to, like, defeat his, uh, weird, like, gay closet issues basically See, that's, i find that fascinating because that makes it human and like it makes it relatable it's probably why everybody likes it is because it's this like it's still jrpg ish but with more weight to it more realism yeah it's like it uses these really weird sci-fi fantasy tropes especially dreams and yeah uh, like where it lets them work out their issues in a very tangible way which i think is pretty huh. cool so yeah, I I highly recommend it because I uh, yeah. 
I'm so nervous to take on any new games because, like, I'm still not done Dragon Age, which means I still haven't started Mass Effect and, like... Breath of the Wild. Well, Mark's playing Breath of the Wild, so I get to watch him play that while I play Dragon Age. It's a good oh. system. Mm. That works out. Cool. Uh, yeah, I just think it's funny. Um, this is, like... And it's not even Persona 5 specific. It's just that, like, the amount of games that are coming out post-holiday season, it's like Christmas doesn't matter anymore for the gaming industry. It used to be, like... Wow, man, like, S- September, October, November, December would be fucking batshit, and then, like, we would go through this, like, horrible, like, fucking desert time in- until maybe the fall again. Yeah. And yeah, you'd lose nothing. all your money at once, too. Yeah, and now it's like, but even now, like, every couple weeks there's some huge fucking game coming out. Like, it's yeah. been like, uh, what came out after the new year? Like, Well, Zero Dawn Horizon. Yeah, um, Horizon came out, Zelda came out. Mass Effect came out, uh, Nier Automata came out, which apparently was pretty good. Yep. Um, that Neo game came out that apparently was getting like 8s and 9s and 10s mm-hmm. around. It's not my kind of game, but it's a big game apparently. Neo? Um, now, Neo, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and then uh, Persona now is coming out. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, Like these games are coming out in a weird clip, like yeah. post-holiday uh, season. But I think, I think that um, like traditional... like cycles of buying have kind of gone by the wayside a little bit That's like true. Yeah. Uh, because there is like i think there's still something to be said about timing things for holiday releases but at the same time like when it comes to especially big games that take like a 100 hours to beat like releasing them post holiday like before uh, like before the summer comes i don't know it makes sense like yeah it totally devote, makes sense devote more time to it because uh, when you have a rush of games like uh near the holiday season i want like i want games that i can complete quickly um, yeah 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 but, that's why like, i like that like the cod kind of like release cycle around that time where you get like a big call of duty game that you can blast through in a weekend and then like fucking forget about it and then like move on to your like god of war or whatever that you're not you're gonna spend so 20 hours with. Yeah. yeah exactly but like you're not gonna spend you're not gonna lose 100 hours to that you know what i mean it's not a breath yeah. of the wild that you're just gonna be like oh shit i'm gonna slog through this for four weeks, weeks like I did or yeah, like yeah. with you what you're dealing with with Dragon Age right Christy where you've just been like grinding on it for how long have you been playing that game like a month and a bit oh probably longer than that at this point um yeah maybe a month and a bit actually that seems accurate yeah. but it's like and the problem with that is that when you have these games that are released like say like pre-Christmas um it's what Paul's saying that you don't you know they're gonna be a hundred plus hours you know, you only have that time around Christmas and vacations and things like that. And it's really frustrating to feel like you're waiting to know you won't finish. Yeah. <gasps> Thanks, honey. Food. Yeah, I, I, the only game, uh, the game that came out around the holidays last year for me was Pokemon Sun and Moon. Um, I played mm-hmm. Pokemon Sun and I'm still playing that game because it doesn't have like a traditional endpoint. You can still, but I've put a hundred and something hours into that, into that game. Um, yeah. And like, I barely touched anything else. I had Final Fan- I still have Final Fantasy fifteen sitting on my PS4, barely touched. Um, because Rose of Fantasy. Yeah, I, I want to play through it, but there were so many issues. Like they they re released the final chapter of the game, and like there's expansions coming, and I'm like I'm just gonna wait till everything's complete, and then I'll play it. But That's sort of how I feel about Mass Effect at this point. I'm like, uh, is there really a rush? Well, they yeah. might patch the shit out of it to make it not so janky, too, which would be probably be 
to your benefit on your playthrough, given how much you love those games. So I love it so much. It's why it's so offensive what they did to it. <laughs> Jesus. We're not uh, talking about that. We're not talking about yeah, that. Yeah. Let's yeah. move. Uh, let's go. Let's uh, let's do geek of the week. Cool. Geek of, geek the, of the week. Week. Yay! Paul gets involved. I'm I'm trying to join in. I'm trying to be part of the system. I dig it. You know? I yeah. like it. Yay! <laughs> All right. Um, Christy, why don't you start? Oh, man. Geekiest thing I did this week. Um, let me think back, because I had a really good one in my brain the other day, and I was like, I'll have to tell the guys about this. Um, can Paul start? I need to think. Paul. Uh, okay. Christy, um, what's the note? No, no. I'm just trying to remember what I did. Um, my, uh... My geekiest thing this week was video games because I haven't been able to play that much lately because I've had uh, I I wake up at five a.m. to go to a personal trainer and then I go to work and then I come home and I'm like exhausted so picking up a video game has been not as easy as it has been previously <laughs> adult life whatever um, but I've been shiny hunting in Pokemon Sun and I've started Persona Five um, so getting my JRPG on pretty hard. Uh, I'm hunting for a shiny dragon-type Pokemon in Pokemon Sun, and I don't know why I got it into my head that I want this so badly, but uh, the shiny shiny Pokemon like only pop up like one in every 4,000 Pokemon or whatever, so it's just a matter of grinding, and I just it's it's a good way to unwind at the end of the day. So that's my geek of the week. Preach. Mm. Um, yeah, no, that's, uh, I felt like that for a long time too. I just never played video games anymore because I just didn't have the energy for it. Mm-hmm. But it's kind of nice when you just have to slog. Yeah. I was, I was kind of in a similar spot before I left my last job where I was just like, mm-hmm. I didn't feel like playing anything. And it was when I like had that time off between whatever and like going back to work where I was just like, I'm just going to sit here and like play fucking Zelda games and just like, enjoy that I have all this time to like replay what did I do? I played all the Batman Arkham games again mm-hmm. and then I played through uh Wind Waker and then I got a chance to like spend a week off with Breath of the Wild and just like do that first yeah just 80 hours and genuinely just enjoy right playing yeah. yeah and just like do that just like get up maybe take a shower and then like go downstairs and just be like I'm gonna be doing this for 12 hours today yeah the last thing I did that with was was Mass Effect just yeah. like hardcore in it. Yeah. So that's kind of nice. It's a nice feeling when like if that's a hobby you enjoy every once in a while. Like I don't play games all the time a lot, but like every once in a while I'm just like I don't feel like drawing or reading or watching the show right now. I feel like just playing a game and just turning my brain off and just going doing that, like living in that other world kind of thing. So Yeah. Yeah. It, no, it, totally. It's- it's sometimes like something you actively have to force yourself to do. Uh, yeah, it's, it's like yeah. reading. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially when like it's a it can especially when you know the game is so big like Zelda or Persona like you it, like, you got to break it down into smaller pieces and just not worry too much about like getting it all done. But yeah, yeah. it shouldn't be a chore. It's supposed to be something you enjoy, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's yeah. totally true. I'm so excited for all you guys to have played. Like all, well, all three of you to have played Breath of the Wild, so that we can talk about it on the podcast in whatever configuration we end up in when that happens, kind of thing. <laughs> when, um, once I can get my hands on a switch, if I can ever yeah. get my hands on a switch, 
It yeah, plays pretty I, well on the Wii U, actually. Yeah, he doesn't that, have a Wii U either. Yeah, that's well, uh, that's even harder for me because the Wii U is region locked, so I would have to play it in Korean. True. Uh, which is not good because my Korean really sucks. So. But how long have you lived there? Three years. No, I guess I, that's fair. I have a full time job. I w- I did go to Korean classes. My uh, my Korean is like. Conver- passable passable to you know get me through the supermarket checkout line and things like that so mm-hmm. but uh it's not to play an entire video game with like storyline and stuff so fair enough when we actually when you actually play breath of the wild you can debate how much story there actually is because that's been a big thing online but i thought it was i thought it was really well told so i just Whatever. hate zelda in that game i hate her a lot really? i hate really? her voice i hate it oh. i think the voice actress is quite sad but Fair enough. That's just me. That's just my <laughs> own qualms. I didn't really have a super big opinion on it one way or the other. I was kind of like, eh, whatever. It's Thought it's there. It's what bad. it is. So. Thought she was bad. Okay. <laughs> Christy, did you remember what your Geek of the Week was? I did. And you're going to love it because it's an embarrassing story with Christy. Yes. Yay! It's been a while. We're bringing back <laughs> old tropes. I love it when old tropes come back to life. <laughs> Um, Embarrassing stories of Christy. Do it. Yeah, here we go. So it's not even long, but this is why I knew I I had to think about it because I was like, oh, what was that thing that happened? Because, you know, so many embarrassing stories with Christy happen a week. But um, I was at work and at work, I'm allowed to listen to YouTube or shows or whatever, as long as it doesn't distract me too much. Yeah. Um, Just because that's how I work best is just having something playing in the background. And, um, so I, uh, I had, cause I'm a huge loser. I had Dragon Age, um, Origins, um, playing in the background, but like specifically the romance option with this oh. character named Alistair. And, um, I was like, I'm curious to see what this will play out like. And so I was just listening to the romance option for this character. And my boss walked in and was like, oh, what's on your screen? And in, like, a moment of just, like, pained embarrassment, I was like, oh, I'm, uh, because I over-explain when I'm nervous. I'm not sure if that's something you know about me, Mark, you know, having... I'm I'm, I'm not, I'm not, me and my editing technique are not aware of that at all. (laughs) (laughs) So, but that is, yeah, I definitely over-explain when I'm nervous. And um, so (laughs) I just look at her, I was like, oh, I'm just watching this romance of a video game character. And um, uh," and she was like, you're what? (laughs) And I was like, um, she goes, uh, okay, well, whatever gets you through the day, I guess. And I was just like, um, and then my, my, um, office mate was just like, wait, and I kid you not, she was like, in front of my boss, she's like, wait, are you talking like that weird tentacle shit? (laughs) And I was like, tentacle porn reference number two for the night. I am so excited about tonight so far. But I was just like, oh my God, no. And Eugenia, my boss was just like, Christy, you know, what's appropriate to watch and not to watch at work, right? (laughs) Did you have to do a seminar? Do you have to do a seminar? No, but I was just like, I was mortified because I was just like, why did I just keep my mouth shut? Why wasn't I just like, oh, it's just this thing. It's just like, it's just something. Don't worry about it. Because like she's caught me seeing Parks and Rec before, which is in the background. And usually I try not to have it up on my screen, but I've been bad lately because I've been bored. And um, yeah, I was just like, oh my God, I got... um, 
my my office mate was just like chiding me all the rest of the day just being like you're so weird why would you watch that and i was just like i don't know and she's like well i mean like it's just why <laughs> why would you even, why would you put that on at work and i was like it's not tentacle porn she was like well i don't want to see it even if it isn't like i don't believe you it's just like i had no ground to stand on it was just this super embarrassing and my boss was just like well, it was the fact that she was just like, you know what's appropriate to watch and not watch at work, right? I was just like, oh, God. Well, it kind of sounds like your coworker's a judgy bitch. Judgy bitch. <laughs> no, she's great. <laughs> um, I, I like the um, like how hard you will ride a feminist rant on the podcast. And yet the first thing you talk about when you talk about video games happens to be the romances that are involved in them. Um, there's no problem with being invested in romance options. I mean, it doesn't make me less feminist to be interested in what happened. It's just, it sounds like the most stereotypical girly gamer thing you would be interested in. But But yeah, I mean, it's a stereotype for a reason. Like, guys are interested in romance options too, but probably more for the boobs on a regular occasion. That's probably, yeah, that's probably accurate. I just, I'm just... Pointing out the hilarity that I find in that, so and I and a lot of recent scholarship about uh, romance is that you know what it's a genre that has been around for a really long time and it's like it's getting more I guess critical praise, especially on TV now that long format TV and like serialization has been more popular. So mm-hmm. like, don't bash romance, man. It's been around for a long time, and like, uh, yeah, it's cr- it. I just think it's funny that Christy would like glom onto it so tightly. Of course, I would. I'm a romantic. Yeah, mm. I, so t- sweet. Yeah, it's so good. I thought it was I very was- cute that Mark brought you dinner too. Yeah, he does <laughs> that. He's he's lovely. Yeah. My my delicious stir fry. Yeah. I'm trying to eat it quietly. Yeah, it's fine. So, Mark, what's your um, geek of the week? Mm-hmm. My geek of the week is um, I am about I don't know how many pages it is because I'm reading it on Kindle, but I'm almost on American Gods. Um, oh wow! I did for the April 30th premiere of that. I've read it before, but this is my first time reading the um, like preferred, the text. preferred text version of it, and I'm really, really, really enjoying the extension. It's, well, I don't remember exactly what is being extended. I'm gonna have to go back and look and see like where the real changes are and stuff like that. But yeah, I am really enjoying this a lot. I'm so fucking excited for that show to come on now. Like, yeah, so fucking excited for everything about that. Yeah, um, I'm kind of jealous. I keep trying to pick it up and like, I, I even downloaded the audiobook so I could listen on the way to work, but I just, eh. really it's the first game in that I'm not like, ah, about, Oh, it's, it's right up my alley. I love that kind of like, taking myth and making it half real kind of stuff like it's very oh, like yeah. supernatural or buffy-esque kind of yeah i mean it's not not in delivery but just like in concept overall like i like that kind of stuff like that stuff that like i have written on yeah, my own when i was trying to write my own stuff like that's the kind fair. of story that i glom onto. yeah so it's stuff that i would like to even the superhero stuff that i like tends to be more like that grounded kind of like bringing this fantastical stuff and kind of applying it to the real world it's like even the sure. uh, the nolan movies right where it's like that's a very realistic world, and then you just throw in that element of dude in bat suit or dude with face paint <laughs> going crazy. Yeah, that's well, that's what it is, right? Yeah, rich guy in bat suit, so like that kind of stuff. So that's the kind of storytelling I kind of yeah. attach myself to. So it's interesting that you bring up uh, supernatural because they're both kind of like road trip stories, uh, and they go through like a lot of Americana. 
Yeah, the yeah. Uh, yeah, Supernatural actually owes a lot to American Gods, I think, in a lot of ways. It's, um, yeah, it is very, they're both very um, celebrating a, like, that backroads culture of America, like, that kind of backwoods, not necessarily the mainstream idea of, like, oh, we're gonna go be in New York or whatever, but, like, if we are in New York when they are in New York, yeah, on both the show and in that book, they're not showing you, like, the Empire State Building or, you know, like, Madison Square Garden, they're showing you, like, out-of-the-way Brooklyn or something like that, where, like, kind of a slummy side of it and, like, that kind of stuff comes up, or, like, Supernatural would be like, oh, we're, we have to go to Chicago, and they'd be like, ah, oh, fuck, but they don't show you any, like, you, anything about Chicago you're gonna recognize, they show you, like, the seedy part of Chicago, that that's where the demons would hide. Also, probably because they're shooting it in downtown Vancouver, Vancouver. Yeah, and therefore that. can't really show you a <laughs> Chicago landmark per se. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I'm just like I, I was. I I don't remember enjoying this book as much the first time I read it. I kind of I feel like I kind of read it because everybody was talking about it, and I like Neil Gaiman's comic book work. So I kind of just read it as like I should be reading this. So I kind of slogged through it. Um, yeah. But this time I'm like very invested in the whole thing and I'm really enjoying it and I'm very excited to, I might even go pick up some more of his stuff and read the, re- like, more of his work. Oh, have and, you, uh, I've suggested Game Into You for so long. I've read, like, I've read, um, I read Neverwhere. Neverwhere back so in the good. Dead. Yeah, mm-hmm. I like Neverwhere. Actually, I like Neverwhere the first time I read it more than I liked American Gods. I don't know if that's going to hold true by the time I'm done American Gods. Now, I think that might be my new, like, kind of eked its way up to the top. But then he also writes. So he also he writes stuff like didn't he write like Coraline like Stardust? That's a little bit more kind of, I don't want to say like twee, but like a little bit more twee compared to American Gods is very dark. Like it's a very dark adult kind of book, even though Coraline's a kids book. Coraline's a kids book, but it also is legitimately creepy and in that that game and way that only he can do. Um, So the concept of Coraline is really good, and it's a really quick read. So there's no reason not to. And the movie, the movie adaptation was fantastic. So yeah, yeah. I just pretty much love anything that Gaiman puts his hand to because it's magical in its own special, universal way. Mm-hmm. Like, and yet, if we gave you Sandman, would you read it? Absolutely, I would read Sandman. Yeah, you need to get you need to get your if you like Gaiman that much. I like people. I'm sure people at this point are arguing about what his like masterpiece, like his whatever you want to call it, like his work. Like, what would you say? Like his his. his his magnum opus kind of thing yeah. yeah his masterpiece i'm sure people would argue that maybe american gods is in that conversation and it probably should be but i would argue sandman is that thing now that i finally like read it and like processed it properly um i think sandman is like the real deal yeah well Sand. that's the one thing about gaiman though that makes him um almost hard to hold um to other authors is because he's so he writes everything Mm-hmm. You know, he he has his hands in every writing pot and yeah. everything he touches is so unique to him. But like, look, his comics are outstanding. The books that he writes for those are amazing. And his actual novels, his short stories, his essays, everything that he produces is just it's 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 amazing. His yeah. TV writing, like, he made me love Matt Smith as Doctor Who for one episode when he did the Doctor yeah. Who. Right, yes, he wrote Agreed. that yeah, you're right. I, was, I was just thinking he wrote Doctor Who, and I'm like, I think that was the only time where, like, Matt Smith's Doctor 
I liked, I genuinely liked, like, I never hated Matt Smith's Doctor, but I never loved him. It was the only time I was like, I think I could, like, deal with this guy as the Doctor on a long-term basis, finally, because of this one script. It didn't continue after that episode, because Gaiman bolted, but, like, it it was still, like, I just really enjoyed the shit out of that. Yeah, I think that he, um, he, surprisingly, since he hasn't really done a lot of, like, uh, TV screenplay kind of stuff. Um, he had a really good handle on uh, the characters and dialogue for like a, um, and uh, he made me feel so much empathy for the TARDIS uh, uh, in that uh, episode. It was amazing, so good. Well, there's also something to be said for the fact that a he is probably one of the best writers working right now, mm. and then so adapting to a different format is not going to be that hard. Yeah. And also, he has worked so long in comics, and that is such a I feel like the, the gap between prose and TV and comics in TV is it, it, there's a much smaller gap between working in comics and moving to TV True. or to like a like visual because it's a visual medium. Even if it is told differently, you're still working in that visual style, whereas with prose, you're not necessarily doing that. So I think that the jump between That's like somebody working in prose and working like going to the screen is a much bigger jump than somebody like Gaiman who's obviously an excellent prose author and then has also written amazing comic book work and then taking all of that experience and moving it to the screen. Also, we are talking about Neil Gaiman, so this may not actually hold up in court because he's kind of a special case, but... Yeah. What are you talking about? Well, just like... In that, like, it's it's an, it would be easier for a comic book writer to mm. jump to TV than it would be for a novelist to jump to TV, you know what I mean? Okay, I see what you're saying, like but yeah. 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 Um, and it's just like... Because Neil Gaiman managed to do that very well, but I'm just... I'm, I'm, Sorry, I'm quasi musing to myself whether that actually holds up because yeah. well, Neil Gaiman did like the opposite. Mm-hmm. He went. He never really TV wrote and... prose, though. Uh, no, that's true. But yeah, he started in TV and then went to comics and then went to the movies. Like, yeah, that's it's a yeah, little bit but... more of a straight line. Like, it's more of a coral corollary corollary. Oh fuck, Coraline? Corollary line. <laughs> 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 a corollary line between those three media than there is between prose and any of those three media. I think well, I would encourage you to read his um his short fictions. He's got this one well he's got three that I think are amazing, but my favorite was Trigger Warning and they're so dark, but they're so good. I was just listening to the episode where we talk about Trigger Warning and Tim points out that that's that millennial saying that like it's you're being triggered or whatever. But that yeah. was the and point. I, I was, yeah, I know, but I was laughing my ass off cuz we I didn't think he had it was I thought it was before that became a thing. Anyway, I'm, I'm now I'm rehashing old dance robot dance episodes for our audience. <laughs> um, Fragile things is another really. That's a really good segue from what we were talking about or what we wanted to talk about tonight. So my, the main topic, and I wanted to do this because my brother is a huge literature nerd and has his. You have a BA, right? In uh, uh, or is it a master's in? A BA English in lit? English literature and professional writing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. We wanted, and Christy's always talking about nerdy books, so I thought we would talk about nerdy books tonight because I just finished reading American Gods, and I felt like talking about books that we enjoy that kind of fall into that genre space. Um, I didn't ask any specific questions. I didn't ask them to bring a list or anything like that. So I thought we could just kind of shoot the shit and talk about what we enjoy reading about in nerd kind of book space. So. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I'm a big Neil Gaiman fan now. I'm really getting into his stuff. Um, Christy has ad nauseum talked about uh, J.K. Rowling and that dude from... Yeah, and I was just going to say the Kingkiller Chronicles, and I can't remember the, the author's name. Patrick Rothfuss. There it is. Um, 
and I know Paul's probably got a ton of examples of stuff that he likes that falls into that kind of genre. So why don't you why don't you throw one out, Paul, that you like, uh, and we'll see if we've read it and we can talk about it, or you can exp- you can try and sell us to on it, I guess. And we'll okay. Do it that way. Well, I wanted to talk about one that a lot of people have probably read at this point, um, uh, and it's become kind of a phenomenon: "A Song of Ice and Fire," the Game of Thrones series. Um, it is. Uh, have either of you read? The books i started reading the first one i am in a weird spot with that whereas i love the show so much mm-hmm. and i know this is kind of blasphemy to the book readers but i love the show so much that like i know when i go to um i don't know if i've talked about this on the podcast before or not but i i've said it a million times where i know that i'm going to get so much more out of the books that like i feel like watching the show to its completion and then reading the books i will enjoy the books more than the other way around because like you're not making that comparison so i have abstained from continuing to read the books Uh because of that so yeah this created a really weird uh pop cultural phenomenon with the the book series being very much incomplete while game of thrones was starting uh and now starting it's still incomplete yeah but it's uh, i'm talking like the this the tv show has now uh, surpassed the timeline of the books. So yeah. um, there was this really weird split on the internet of like the purest book readers um, and then the TV only people and then the people who did both. Um, and I was definitely a person who did both. I, I read the first Game of Thrones, I, uh, the first A Song of Ice and Fire Game of Thrones uh, when I was in university. Um, and then the series started later, so I I caught up to the books. And the books are incredible in their own way. Um, George R. R. Martin has the same kind of Tolkien-esque uh, purple prose, like lots of descriptions, especially about food. His descriptions of food are so tantalizing like they make for, me for a man who's have... for a man who's likely to die from diabetes in the next couple of years that's <laughs> kind of hysterical but don't say that he needs to finish the books first uh, his son knows how yeah. oh. oh yeah because that worked so well for dune which we're not oh. talking about <laughs> yeah we're not talking about that <laughs> no um but uh i think that the game of thrones book series does <sighs> Once the show overtook the books, the show became a lot more about like big plot set pieces instead of like the 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 character elements that were uh, part of the book series, like the, all the the political sparring and the the secrets, like the the amount of fan theories about what was going on behind the scenes in the books is incredible. Like people study these books and reread them a million times to see, oh, I have this theory about who screwed over this person. And that's what I love about this particular series is that it's all political game playing with the backdrop of dragons and ice zombies. It's it's so true. Like, you've read it, like, up to the point where, like, he's done, like, book five, I guess, is finished, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, does the book not include those bigger set pieces in them? Like, does Because I feel like, I don't feel like they they haven't earned that in the show, like, moving mm-hmm. into, like, the big action kind of tropey side of things. Yeah. I feel like they've built up to it more elegantly than most shows are probably capable of at this point. Yeah. So I'm kind of like, I don't, I, I'm, I'm curious, like, have the books 
moved that way as well? Like, did they move that way as well? Or are you just talking about this past season where, like, everything went berserk? Because that's kind of what happened in season... What was it just to do? Season 6 or whatever? Like, everything was crazy this year, right? Yeah, and I think... Yeah, I think that... Those big battles, like um, the Battle of the Blackwater and things like, they all exist in the book, and they are they, there's a lot devoted to them. Um, but it, because of the Lord of the Rings uh, big battle ends the ends the story trope uh, that kind of existed in all three of those movies and has translated to a lot of different fantasy uh, movies and TV. Um, those become really important like the the battle itself whereas in the books it's the character interactions that happen during the battle and the those those individual character moments that are far more important than the results i guess um and it could be argued it could be like a prose thing though i don't mean i'm trying not to interrupt you because i don't want anybody bitching about it anymore but like um i feel like that could be like that's the advantage of prose versus mm-hmm. like I, I'll see cinema right for whatever whatever you want to call it because the show's very much become a what do you want to call it a six seventy hour movie at this point. Yep. Um, yeah. In just in production value and stuff, so like I feel like that would be the difference. Where like, and I know the way he writes it from my limited experience with that first book is like it, it tends to be first person kind of narration. So there's not a lot of, like, word of God kind of, like, high-level narration, if I'm not mistaken? It's all third-person limited. So it's third-person, but it's connected to one particular character for each chapter. Yeah. So, like, you're not getting going to get that broad storytelling where he's describing a battle in broad generalities the way, like, a TV show can do that big swoop shot before it goes in and shows you. Like, it can show you that... Like, the Battle of Blackwater is an excellent example. Like, they'll show you just the ships getting decimated, mm-hmm. and that would be something a character would mention seeing as they glimpsed out at the water as yep. they were running for their fucking lives kind of thing, right? Like, that's what the book version of it would be. Whereas, like, the TV show can be like, well, we're going to hang out here and show you the dragons coming in and just, like, face-fucking these boats, because... Yeah. And, and I'm not saying that that's a, as a detriment to the show. Like, it has to be adapted for a, a serialized TV show. Exactly. Like, a, a satisfying book ending isn't the same as a satisfying TV series ending. Like, the like usually books can survive with some a lot of ambiguity at the end of yeah. whereas tv audiences are far more used to closure um mm-hmm. and i like considering how sprawling the the world of a song of ice and fire is in the books like getting closure is not something you should ever expect um whereas on the tv show there they use a lot of closure and catharsis to kind of like give satisfying character arcs. Like they change one particular example is Sansa's character arc. Like in the books, it's far different from what she's become in the TV show. Like being a a victim of rape and then getting back at her attacker. Whereas um, she's still developing her, like that hasn't happened in the book. And we're, we're, we're a lot of fans are still kind of like, why did they do that? Um, I get what they were trying to do with it, but but, but here's the thing. Like you haven't read the book where that would have happened yet. Like it would have been in book six, which has not been released if I'm not mistaken. She's not even in the same part of the world though. Like she's not nowhere near Ramsey snow. So like, it's, it's a really, really different, uh, thing. Like she's not, so, yeah, she's in the veil. She's still like figuring out Littlefinger, and she's um, uh, manipulating the little uh, 
king in the veil, the the baby Robert. Uh, right. Yeah. So it's like big divergence to have a more TV satisfying ending, but it doesn't seem as complex or interesting as what George R. R. Martin is doing with some of the storylines, whereas some of the storylines actually got better in the TV show, particularly Jon Snow's. Like I yeah. loved I love John and Daenerys better in the TV show than I do in the books, oddly enough. By the way, I'm really happy that um, fans were right about John's lineage. Oh, yes. That's another thing that, like, all the fans were, like, he's going to be Lyanna and Rhaegar Targaryen's son. And we they, all knew it. Yeah, yeah. They, they were talking about it for decade, like a decade, that this was mm-hmm. this had to be the real thing, and then when it finally happened, the book readers were cheering, but they, a lot of them said, I wish I had read about it instead of seeing it on TV. I remember, I remember seeing a lot of people say exactly that, like them being pissed off that they found out about it on the TV show as opposed to, like, finding out, finding out about it in the the book that they have been obviously very invested in over the course of however long this show has been going on right? or the yeah. book series have been going on. Yeah. Cause the, the books are, are enjoyable to read, but they are a lot of work cause they're so huge. That's, um, that's part of the reason why I stopped at book three. It was a mix of that. And what Mark was saying earlier about how like you can, sorry, when you start the TV show, if you weren't reading the books before, because I started, sorry, I'm chewing. Um, I started You're also reading. moving your microphone. <laughs> I stopped moving it. Um, so, um, but I started reading Game of Thrones on the bus to and from work when I was first commuting. Um, and I had this like 45 minute commute, so I would read a Game of Thrones. And um, I got through the first two books, got halfway through the third, and just couldn't do it anymore. Because the TV show was doing such a good job of making, like, the world engrossing that I was finding it really hard to um, to kind of, like, enjoy the flow and the steady pace of the books as much because the show was so good at moving it forward. And it was the same thing with Lord of the Rings. I have read The Hobbit, but I've never read the actual Lord of the Rings. I've tried picking up... Uh, Lord of the Rings. Um, let's, let's not bring that up around Alicia so that you don't die on I know, on episode. I know. But, like, I've picked up the Lord of the Rings so many times, and it's just the the amount of walking that they do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like the Kevin Smith joke, right? Have you seen Clerks? You, you probably haven't seen Clerks 2. No. Oh, my God. So he good. just does this fucking awesome bit, and it's it's totally a visual gag where, like, he did it in a live show and then translated it to Clerks 2, where Do- uh, Randall says this to two Lord of the Rings nerds, because he's a Star Wars guy, right? So he hates the fact that, like, the Lord of the Rings trilogy has become, like, the holy trilogy to nerds in, like, the, the post-9-11 world, or whatever you want to call it. Yeah. And he does this thing where he's like, Jesus fucking Christ, it's three movies about assholes walking. So he does this impression where it's just, like, walking slowly. And then that's that's the first movie. You want to see the second one? And he walks, to, like, he starts again, walking slowly, <laughs> stumbles a little bit, looks at the rock, shrugs, keeps walking. <laughs> and then, like, this is the third movie. Does the same thing. Walks along, stops, takes the ring off his finger, throws it in, shrugs, like, huh, that was a long walk. Could have just gotten on the eagles. Yeah, yeah. yeah. could have just gotten on the eagles, exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, oh, oh, Kevin Smith, I fucking love you so goddamn much sometimes. But that's the that's the thing, is that, like, when you're taking on these giant books that are so beloved by fans, you have to accept the fact that there are going to be new fans who don't enjoy the books on the same level because you've already provided them 
the outlet in a much more condensed, watchable version. Yeah, easily, easy, more easily digestible version. Yeah, I feel like yeah. this is another whole episode. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, but what the thing that I will say to sell you on uh, the book series over the TV series is like, if you love any of the characters, you can really inhabit them a lot more in the book. Like the I Fair. like one of the things that kept me going through those books um, because I was enjoying them a lot. I would turn, once I finished a chapter and I would see the, they always have the name of the character um, at the top of the the chapter heading um, and I would see it, I'd be like, oh, I get to read another Daenerys chapter or I get to read another uh, whatever chapter and it made me so happy. Like I I would, and then when we got to book four and then you, you flip and then you see Cersei is a point of view character when she hadn't been in the first three books i was like holy shit we get to see cersei's perspective for once it like that really got me so yeah yeah it's it it's a different experience slightly different experience than the the show um and it has different costs and rewards but it's like totally oh yeah it's the same thing when i'm trying to sell people on the king killer chronicle the problem is that um it's not finished yet and it's hard to sell people on a book that's not finished yet, but the the series is coming out. Yeah, that's true. Because then once you Who's catch producing up, producing that series, Lin Manuel Miranda. No, but I mean, like, I don't care. Oh yeah, okay. I mean, I care about that because it's probably going to make me hate it. But like, who? Like, what is it going to be on a TV network? Is it Netflix? Like, do you know? It's is it a going movies? to be all of them. They're releasing movies. They're going to have a Netflix series. There's going to be a video game, and there's going to be a stage adaptation for Broadway. So this is going to be like the Dark Tower, like the way they're doing the Gunslinger, or they were planning on doing the Gunslinger? I'm so excited. Yeah. Like, when Lin-Manuel said he was coming on board because he's a huge fan of it, and that one of the songs in Hamilton was written because of his inspiration from Patrick Rothfuss in the chapter about how Kvothe, uh, Quoth and um, Simon and Willem are walking back drunk f- to the university from the pub, I was just like, oh my god. I thought I couldn't love this book series more, and then Lin Manuel touched it. <laughs> I kind of regret having started this line of discussion now. Oh, so much. You don't have. You know what? You are missing out on such an amazing world by denying yourself watching it because it's something I like. It's, I'm not denying myself watching it because it's something you like. It's just another book series that I need to get to at some point, and I will probably read it but like i haven't read the song of ice and fire right like i haven't read the game of thrones books and i fucking I know, love you are that show eminently against the the king killer chronicle on this podcast honestly you know what it is um the first time you started talking about it you made it sound really twee and then when i looked up the art and this is just me this is literally being the horrible person and judging the book by its cover but i'm a graphic designer so that's my first instinct is to go look at the art attached to it right I and know, I but you it, have to look past that shitty cover art. It looked like a shit fucking garbage romance novel painting cover that I would have seen when I was freelancing for Harlequin or something like that. And I was just like, the actual the cover, actual fuck is going on? Well, how could she be so invested in a book series that would allow this to be the published cover? No, because it's not. The actual cover is... Um, Quoth, you don't see his hair, but he's in a cloak and it's like billowing off to the side and he's looking out over an expanse of land and it's dark greens and 
blacks and these deep blues and it's actually so beautiful i don't know why that shit cover is on wikipedia because it doesn't do justice i can get my copies right now they're within arm's reach of almost everywhere in this house i think that's what got tim and i because what i i think i shared that link and we were both like what the actual fuck is happening right here why is he talking about this <laughs> anyway that's why they have the saying don't judge a book by its cover i know but i'm a graphic designer by trade and therefore i'm going to immediately judge a book by its cover because that's what i do then how could anyway. you read any genre novel ever? The, like, the history of bad cover art for genre novels is, is a tale as old as time. Like, oh, besides... Be no, <laughs> because that's not true, because you've seen the Frank Frazetta covers for the old Conan stories. Okay. But that still, shit's those baller. Are, but those are cheesy. Like, they, there's a level of cheese that you kind of have to yeah. accept when you are reading Oh, fan man. But that's like... You, because you That's read Conan mood. for God's sake. I love Conan. I want to talk. I wanted to talk about Conan tonight because that's like if we're going to talk about fantasy, that's my fantasy world. That's the fantasy world that I have spent the most time. But in. But he's cheeseball. Yeah, I agree. you're saying all these things like the, my book series is twee, but like this is a, it's that's coming it's of age total, proto male like power fantasy. Power fantasy. It is. It's it's power fantasy. I'm not saying your book's bad. I never said your book was bad. You've said you it a number of times. You just described it in a way that didn't seem appealing to me. Mm. Well, if you would describe it more like, dude is Conan, I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm in. He's not Conan, I though. I love Conan. <laughs> it's a coming-of-age story that is about the real life behind uh, an antihero and how he comes to terms with living with who he is and the darkness that overshadows like the realness of what it is to be an aspiring hero like everything that goes into it and everything and what? that almost sounds like the actual conan have you ever read the conan books no because their covers are stupid the conan <laughs> books very well see there you go i love hypocrite christy when hypocrite christy comes to the podcast is my favorite time i think um, she was being facetious but i know i'm well aware Thank you paul i'm well aware um are the, you the, are you yeah. can you read my face cover yeah yeah i'm <laughs> Visual bits, Would Christy. Would you read this? Visual bits, Christy. Visual bits. Um, People the know Conan character know. in the Me? books is not the Conan character that has been adapted into like the Schwarzenegger movie. Paul can back me up on this. Like, it's yeah, because that's Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Like, the Conan he's... character in the books is like super manipulative, super conniving, super smart, like yes. cutthroat, awesome. Like he's the almost like trope codifier for like badass warrior guy like he is yeah. the best at everything he's like almost batman in middle earth kind of space you know what i mean like he's just yeah. that guy so in a loincloth in a loincloth wait a minute wouldn't batman be the conan of his universe mark very true that's a good point christy thank you for pointing that out to me oh call him back call him the kettle black uh, 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 uh. Winning argument. Uh, 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 uh. I'm gonna have to do a count while I'm editing to see which one of us is interrupting the other more to this week. <laughs> we can put up a count. You're probably yeah. winning because I didn't talk for the first like half an hour. That's true. You were doing your taxes. That was very. Exciting. No, I was uh, listening because I didn't really have much to say on the topic. Okay, so you're and doing, doing your taxes. my taxes. I do your taxes. <laughs> your taxes. Your taxes. <laughs> While we're doing the podcast. Couldn't even finish my taxes because I'm missing a form. 
Oh, nice. Boo. Anyway. Anyway, So, Christy, um, Mm. I don't know. What other other stuff do you like to read? What other stuff do I like to read? Do you guys want to talk about Harry Potter? Like, reading the books versus watching the movies? Just Um, reading the books? You know what? I still love... I I love Harry Potter, but now I'm... I reread it, like, probably... Once every two years, but I listen. I listen to it. I should say I listen to Stephen Fry. I don't really have the time to sit down and read the Harry Potter books because there's so much else to read. Mm-hmm. But um, and they're very easy to listen. But as much as I love the Harry Potter books, and I love the fandom, and I, I love um, you know getting up at a good Harry Potter discussion, um, the books definitely worked when you grew with them. You know, like now as an adult, I enjoyed the mad the magic aspect of the first book, and like I love the nostalgia that comes with it. And I could see reading it to a twelve year old, but if I was reading it for the first time as an eighteen or nineteen year old, I probably wouldn't enjoy it very much. Yeah, I agree. Because I, uh, I read um, books six and seven as they were coming out, so ooh, that was a long time ago. But it mm-hmm. was a long time ago. I, I was I was older. I think I was in university when those books were coming out, and yeah. I didn't. Yeah, we I were. Didn't, and I didn't like those books very much. Like I love the first five Harry Potter books, but six and seven didn't do. They, I have not reread them. I've reread the first five multiple times, but mm-hmm. the I found the ending, especially that fucking epilogue. Oh, that so fucking sad. epilogue! It's so dissatisfying. It's so, like. It's so disrespectful. The story. Sorry, go on. No, I know. I, I'm totally with you on this rant. Like, it's not good. It is. Uh, it's fan fictiony in a bad way. It's uh, like I honestly would like. I love the character of Harry. I think he should have died at the end. And so I, I know do some, I. Yeah, I think that um, if they were going to do an epilogue, should have been Hermione as headmistress of Hogwarts, and she looks at one of the the moving paintings, and she's, look, this is Harry Potter, the boy who died, not the boy who lived, because he died for saving the wizard. For all world. of us. Yes, or something Maybe like that. Maybe that would have made it too much of a Christ Jesus allegory, though. Yeah, and that's... F- also, we, we've yeah. now fallen into one of the things that was one of our pet peeves on our pet peeves episode, where we are rewriting a famous author's work. I but know. here's the thing: we're not rewriting it because there's a difference between being like, "I f- I wish it had ended this way," and saying it should have. And yeah. like, I think in this situation, the problem was it's not J.K. Rowling didn't write one book; she wrote seven, and she wrote well. Technically, she's written more than that now. But at the time, she'd written seven books that kids had grown with that we had adapted like our childhoods around like this. You know, everybody who started reading those books when they were you know fourteen or under always sort of hoped they'd get a letter and like she set up this world for all of us and then i think true to form she i think she was gonna have harry die this is my opinion i think she was gonna have harry die she did not expect yeah i don't think she expected the global phenomenon that harry potter became i think that's why the seventh book was delayed and i think that's why um because they actually and i remember reading about this they had suicide lines li- um hotlines lined up for people who were too upset about the harry potter novels and a lot of people had gone online and this is when like the web was really starting to blow up and harry potter fandom i'd say was secondary only to um song of ice and fire at the time because that was adult readers who knew how to use the internet 
um, was one of the first major... Um, in terms of books, though, right? You're talking about... In terms about? of books. In terms of books. It was one of the first major things to create a, like, a designated fandom where people were discussing it en masse in, like, discussion groups and things. I think it was one of the... One of the first well, major first, sparks it was the first, of it. First, for the first books that that yeah. happened for. Yeah. yeah. And I'm saying, like, like, it's second to the talk about, part. like, we can argue, like, The X Files was probably the first, like, real oh, internet yeah. phenomenon on, TV on show. Yeah. Yeah. Back yeah. in the day, but yeah. yeah. But, but book series wise, it lended itself to people who enjoyed fantasy and sci-fi because the internet was what they were discovering and blah, blah blah blah. So, but there were all these people who had gone online to say, you know, if Harry Potter dies, I'm going to kill myself. If Harry Potter dies, um, I'm going to boycott the series. If Harry Potter dies, like I'm going to hunt down J.K. Rowling. Like she had death threats against her. I am not surprised. Is, sorry, I, I'm going to go back to the the killing themselves thing. This is the dance robot danciest thing we'll possibly say about that but that may be the best darwinism like argument for darwinism ever like if yeah. that's the reason you're gonna kill yourself take yourself out of the goddamn gene pool oh <laughs> no well Sorry, i just watched like because of our topic last week i watched like three george carlin stand-up routines this week so <laughs> yeah. there you go i'm in like back uh, in I'm in I'm in total nihilist mode now. I'm in total George Carlin. Like, let them kill themselves. Then put it on TV. Let me watch it. Let Um, me put it on TV and let me watch it. That would be entertainment. No. Yeah. I I would I would say that the I don't mind the fact that she let Harry live. That's fine. Like in the grand scheme of things, because yeah, she's still a franchise. Yeah, it's yeah. a kid's book, and it's and she wanted to franchise it. That's fine. I get that. But, uh, like, having the the um, epilogue be so explicit, and when before we knew that um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child was going to happen and explore the, the future of that, like, she kind of didn't leave the ending ambiguous enough for me. Like, I, I didn't, like, I wanted to maybe imagine what their relationships would be like, like maybe not have Harry and Ginny get married and have everyone married and happy and da, 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 da. like it just it was too it tied too neat a bow on it and I thought it was kind of hacky. But you know what? It was. And I'll say this about it too. Like I agree with everything you said. And what I would have preferred if she was going to do an epilogue was to actually see Okay, I get that Harry and Ginny got married, and I get that Ron and Hermione got married, but I think that she did that, and in doing that, she kind of dishonored all of them, because it was like, your first true love is the one of your life, and it's like, no, but um, I think that uh, also, I would have preferred, if she hadn't gone like 19 years down the line, go five, you know? Let's Mm. see Harry as an auror, and let's see, like, let's see him actually, like, feeling accomplished because he's you know he's got Ginny or whatever but he also is doing something for the wizarding community instead of dropping his kids off at king's cross like i get that it was full circling but it was just so like warm and like oh everything's fine and the thing is that it wasn't supposed to be like that none of the books were like that and sure harry wanted a world where everything was like good and happy but he would have severe ptsd and this kid like I would want to see him more like as a like yeah. yeah like as a professor at Hogwarts or doing something and less yeah. about the kids going to the new school and how everything's hunky dory. Yeah, because the thing like they she explored some pretty dark themes throughout the book, and then we uh, get this kind of super safe, like almost too condescending. Uh, yeah, epilogue. bow tied. Yeah. 
yeah, did it just it still sticks in my craw to this day because I loved the first five books so much. Um, as uh, but as those last two books were unraveling, I just uh, I still love. Well, it was I still, just, yeah, but yeah. It's it's sort of how I feel about things like the Harry Potter, the Harry, the Hermione and Ron romance. That mm-hmm. you know, for a long time, I was like, no, they should be together. But as you get older, the more you like are analytical. They yeah. like they had a horrible relationship. Yeah, and like, um, you know, we've jo- we've joked about how that relationship's ending in a domestic abuse call, right? Like, yeah, wow. Hermione Her- is going to destroy Ron one day with a spell, and that'll be yeah. the end of that. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, but it, it is interesting because, like, um, I like the direction she's going with Fantastic Beasts and where to find them. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that'll be interesting and explore some new, darker things. But it is, it is, you know, it was kind of the J.K. Rowling thing where everything kind of always ended with a little bow. E- at the end of every book, even though there was impending doom, there was always a, a gift wrapped for you waiting. And that yeah. was sweet when we were kids, but it's not, you know, a great message to send that everything will be fine eventually. Like, sometimes you really have to work for it to be fine. And sure, Harry died and then it was fine. But, I mean, I don't know. It just, it wasn't as simple as good versus evil. And I don't like that at the end, everybody was just good. Yeah, I agree. 100%. Yeah. But why don't we move on to another geeky book or series or... Because we could talk about Harry Potter for hours. Yeah. Mark, are you alive? I'm alive. I'm just trying to think of something that, like... We could talk about that you guys may have read. Why don't also? Oh, uh, that both of us have read. How about the Vampire Chronicles? My my yeah, I was gonna bring up my my weird nerdy fascination with the Anne Rice world so that you guys can make fun yeah. of me. A bit. <laughs> yes, let's. I want to double down on this because you're giving you were giving uh, Christy shit about romance and oh my god, the gay romance oh in god. those books. Those like the, books. Uh, Anne Rice being like a. a uh, a writer of women's erotica and yep. my brother my brother's obsession with these books when he was growing up was like because uh, I it took me a long time to read them I didn't read them until I was an adult and when I finally did I'm like this was what he was into <laughs> and, <I'm> like, <laughs> <laughs> and it was just and, the funny, and the funny part is you're the gay one yeah how did that work out <laughs> I don't know yeah maybe I'm just maybe I'm still closeted I maybe I just haven't figured it out yet but uh, those those books were, you know, I got turned on to those books uh, because of you. I got but because turned of on the by movie. those books. By Sorry, those books. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I never, and you know what the, the weird part is? Like, I never, I understood that there was, lie. what's that? He's about to lie. Oh, no, I, I didn't, when I was growing up reading them, I didn't get that subtext, I guess. Maybe, I, I don't know, I, like, I didn't pick up on it till I got it eventually I got like oh wait this is all kind of weirdly gay and I, I and it never I mean it never bothered me at all like I still I still read them like I just read the newest one like I had no problem with any of that kind of stuff so I was just yeah. like whatever it's just the world I always liked the she's a really fantastic world builder and it's another mm-hmm. thing that I really like like she does such an awesome job at setting up the rules of like the vampires or like the the rules of the witches like just having set up that whole world and then creating interesting stories that always kind of, she's really good. And this is something that like, I have a problem with in genre writing, like at large is that like you set up the rules for your thing. And then eventually if, once you have to break them to keep telling a story, 
then you failed as a writer, right? Like, cause you set up the rules. So stay inside your rules. She's so good at setting up the rules of this world mm-hmm. and just like telling stories inside of that world and just never deviating from that. And I, I always, that's what I liked about it. All the subtext of like the guys, cause at that point they're supposed to be relatively sexless. Like they're, they're gender, like they are men when they were alive, but once they become vampires, they're not, sexual anymore they're sexual in a different way you know what i mean like the blood sharing is what becomes the sexy thing i guess mm-hmm. yeah so it's never like pee in whatever anything or pee on pee action i don't know how it works i don't know yeah um like that none of that really pee becomes a factor pee action. <laughs> yeah, pee action. well oh i hope not um, yeah, gross. But, but i i didn't pick up on it uh in when because the, the my first exposure to this world was the movie with Brad Pitt and Tom Cruise, which I yep. still yeah, me too. Tom Cruise was amazing in that movie, and I Ugh. like I will not defend Tom Cruise in general because I think he's pretty terrible, but he was so good as Lestat. Uh, he I was him as Lestat. Yeah, but he was um, so hot. I didn't pick up on it growing up, but now that I've, I've watched the movie recently and I read the books later, I'm like, hey, it's two gay dads. Two gay dads and their, like, and their little doll. It totally is. <laughs> and that's the thing. When I was growing up reading this stuff, I was just like, I like the fact that they're vampires. And I, it's, they've got superpowers. And like, that's what I glommed onto, yeah. not realizing all this, all this subtext to it. And I was just like, oh. God, yeah, that's so okay. funny. I remember just really the subtext. I, I remember seeing the subtext immediately. I, it was lost on me, and I was all about the peen. So you know, like, and I uh, totally wasn't. I was just like, I just thought it was cool. They're like, they're fucking creatures of the night, like out killing things and like fighting each other and stuff like that. And yeah, it's kind of emo, but like, whatever. They're immortal. I don't know why it's like that. I didn't get it. But like, I, I, like, I glommed onto the world building side of it. Like, she's she does that really well. And like, she did it. It's not even just the vampires either. Like the witch stories too, which are not. Don't have well. There's some gay stuff in there, but it's not a gay thing anymore. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't and, have that subtext to it. Yeah. She does the same world building in the Mayfair Witches. At least in the first book, she builds this really cool world around this like kind of ancient evil like ghost that like has possessed not possessed but like in a light possession kind of way glommed onto this family, attached itself to this family, and then like gone through the generations, and then goes back and tells you the story of like. Yeah, how that 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 spirit came back and then like attached itself to the first witch and then attached itself to her daughter and then her daughter and then her daughter and then her daughter and, her daughter and yeah. eventually gained the power to start manipulating how the family like interbred and stuff like that. There's a lot of inbreeding in that one. That was a little weird, but like I caught that the first time I read it. I was like, wow, there's a lot of incest going on in this fucking book. But and there was also the pedophilia that came because what that Michael, came in the second book though. The second like, that was more the second witch book. Yeah, yeah, where, that came more I, in the second book. I don't see. That's the thing. I never really like. I don't go nuts and espouse the virtues of like. Lasher or Taltos, I always yeah. just say like read the first book. The first book's amazing. Yeah, the Witching Hour. And then if you want to continue, that's up to you. Yeah, but it's like I because I read all three of those books like before I read the Vampire Chronicles um, and the Mayfair, which is like the first book with all the history and like um, what's his name going through all the files and stuff like that. Michael, Michael goes through all the files. Um, that was. So, such good world building, um, which was then like, then there's some like really sketchy stuff that happens in the later books, especially yeah. with a 13 year old girl having sex with like a 40 year old man. With Michael. It's actually with Michael, Michael has sex with like 
some niece or something like that. Mona, I can't. Yeah. Mona, yeah, Mona Mayfair, and yeah. oh god, that did, was so weird. and that's one of those things she had, and like that was that ended up being like a shared universe. Like all her stuff kind of is in the same world. Yeah, it's a weird thing, but they they tie it together in weird ways. Where like she wrote a book really early on called Ramses the Damned, which is about like uh, a pharaoh coming back. It was a mummy movie, right? Like ostensibly. Yeah. Um, and like he comes back, but they mention the vampires like offhandedly. So like that kind of falls into that world. And then there's another one later on where it's like a genie, um, or a jinn, I guess more accurately. And then like they mention the Talamasca and then like the Talamasca is a big part of like the vampires and the witches story. So like it all kind of becomes this one big continuous story about this weird supernatural world. That's kind of behind, like it kind of like masqueraded behind our world you know what i mean so it's it's a weird i admit now that my fascination with it is fucking bizarre but i don't know i still enjoyed the shit out of it while i was reading it and i still read like when she puts a new book out now that she's kind of like left christianity and has stopped writing jesus books because those were weird yeah um i still like i still read them i didn't like it the last one i thought it was kind of garbage but i was like i'm gonna read it because i like lestat so yeah have you read her erotica I have, actually. Did you read the one about Sleeping Beauty? Yeah. Well, that's a trilogy, actually. I've read all three of them. Is it? Because I only read the first one. I found it in my house. I'm not sure who it belonged to because I didn't buy it. (laughs) You know what the weird part was? Whenever, when that came up initially, I was like, I bet you Christy would enjoy the erotica. Oh, it got me sufficiently aroused. (laughs) Because it's not like, yeah, it's, I, I found it. Like, it's pretty well written, considering what it is. Like, it is, it's smutty, but it, I was still like, you know what, she's, I like Anne Rice's writing style, so I was like, this is pretty good. And it is kind of hot, so I was like, yeah. I'm into it. She, she writes good fucking. Like, she writes really yeah, good Yeah, she fucking. really does. She writes awesome fucking, actually. You're yeah. right, yeah, for sure. I would, I think I need to go out and actually get those books and read them again, because I won't lie, when I was, I, the first time I found it, I was 14, and I'd never, like... You know, I believe the dinosaurs die, so I didn't touch myself at night. Um, but uh, what? 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 Again? <laughs> family Guy joke, you know, Daddy. Um, why did the dinosaurs die? And he's like, because you touch yourself at night. Okay, I've never seen Family Guy. Well, I've, 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 You've never seen that episode? Oh my god, it was huge for so long. It was so funny. Daddy, why did the dinosaurs die? Yeah. We were, we were a Simpsons household, so we were mm-hmm. like, when Family Guy came up, we were like. Family Guy just feels like a cheap, shocky kind of ripoff it's of The Simpsons. It's not very good, but some yeah, of it's yeah. funny. But do you, Paul, do you know that reference? Yeah, I know. I I've actually used the term "because you touch yourself at night." Yeah, pretty frequently. Yeah, back that's, in the day. that's a that's an it's old. It's so that, funny. That's, that's been like that's it's been, been around been for a long time. So I'm surprised you don't yeah. know it. Just the yeah. dinosaur thing was what caught me. I like, I never heard that before. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, it's okay. But um, no, I so I had never like masturbated at that point. And like, um, embarrassing stories of Christy part two. It's not embarrassing. Everybody masturbates. But anyway, um, it was just kind of funny because like, uh, I, it was one of those things where like, I got a weird feeling. It was like the first time I saw a tuxedo mask, you know, it was just like, <gasps> oh, I was yes, very excited. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Paul, are you about to share a similar experience about tuxedo mask with us? Mm-mm. No, my sexual okay. awakening happened with Marky Mark and the Calvin Klein ads. So don't worry. <laughs> <Yay>! <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> that was no, way early on. That's amazing. Um, tuxedo mask was my sexual awakening, though. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Sailor Moon. Uh, yeah. She's an important yeah. part of my life, too. So I yeah. get you. I get it. Mm-hmm. 
I went um, to Sailor Mercury when I was in grade six, and nobody recognized me. They all thought it was Sailor, Sailor Moon, and I was so upset. <gasps> I like, no. when, yeah, I would I would have been like on board with that totally. Love it. Yeah. See, I just, yeah, because I'm trying to think, and I'm like, I, I think it was Tiffany Amber Thiessen was what, yeah. Probably... <laughs> Stay by the bell, Tiffany Amber Thiessen? No, I 90210? think 90210, Tiffany Amber Thiessen, like when she jumped <laughs> ship and became, came back and was just like, oh, well, yeah. she bought, when she had bought boobs and stuff like that and was just like, like she was pretty, like she's always beautiful, but like, yeah, when she came back and was just like sexed up like crazy on 90210, I was just like. I don't want to drop anything wow. in here because like, it's going to make mic noise, but I was totally just like, what the fuck? Yeah. What is going on? <laughs> it's so. like Kelly Kapowski. Kelly Ke- yeah, uh, goddamn right. <laughs> Kelly Kapowski, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so yeah, so that's my, that's, uh, now, now I almost like, I don't usually consider like, I don't have guilty shit, like guilty pleasures about a lot of things. I kind of consider my Anne Rice fandom a guilty pleasure. That is now. a guilty pleasure. Scorn. Yeah. Gone. Yeah, it's gone. I'm trying to Shame. think of like, I think my like other geeky stuff would just be like Jane Austen. I guess is kind of geeky. Well, I can't read that stuff. That stuff. Oh, I love it. I I love Jane Austen too. I think that she's yep. really. Um, she gets um a lot more good scholarly praise as someone who studied literature. Um, mm-hmm. like she she was um. After she had passed away and her, uh, like, she was seen as kind of a pretty frivolous writer, but she was probably one of the most, uh, like, scathing wits and uh, had the best observational writing uh, of her time. And she's. Oh, yeah. She was also one of the first feminists. Yeah. Well, yeah. And Mark Mark Twain hated her. Uh, thought that she was like dull and stuff and like I actually kind of hate Mark Twain's writing but whatever anyway uh, I'm on the other side of this argument because I like Mark Twain's writing yeah and I'm here for Jane Austen actually um the the classrooms in my school are named after um, famous artists writers etc and I'm actually the Mark Twain class teacher I oh honey I'm so sorry (laughs) and there's an Austin class down the hall and I'm like why can't I be in there I want to be Austin class teacher is it how is that spelled is it it's it's with an e right yeah yeah oh because I was going to say, can you just go buy it and write 316 after it? For me? <laughs> yeah. I guess it's kind of appropriate, though, that you're in the Mark Twain classroom being, um, you know, a, an undercover homosexual. <laughs> That's actually good point. Nailed it. Yeah. Nailed yeah. It. yeah. Like, I mean, it would be appropriate with Jane Austen, too, uh, just because. That I'd... might be a little on the nose, though, I think. Yeah. But, um, Yeah. No, I just um I I think I could just see you like teaching Huckleberry Finn and like winking at your kids, being like, eh, do you pick it? Yeah, you picking it up? Do you get it? Yeah. Well that's when he starts if he starts reading like uh some of the later vampire chronicle stuff to the kids, like that might be more. Please like... don't do that to the children. Please <laughs> yeah, don't do don't that do to that. the children. They're, yeah, they're only be... six and seven years old, guys. Don't do that to the children. We're we're at we're at fr- the the most gay actually, oddly enough, I uh just a quick tangent. Um there the Author of uh, Frog and Toad, Our Friends, was posthumously outed um, as gay. Uh, but we read that story in class. Um, so there is Aww. there is gay literature in my class, Yay! kind of by accident. Kind of by That's accident. That's wonderful. <laughs> Just wanted to like, ah, gotcha. That's uh, awesome. <laughs> Psych. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> We're uh, everywhere, bitches. <laughs> awesome. Well, unfortunately, we are like fast approaching the two hour mark. I don't are know. We really? if, oh, yeah, we're at an hour and fifty two minutes already, guys. Um, do you guys have anything else? Like, do you want to recommend something to our listeners? Like, do you want to say like, I know Chrissy's going to say King Killer Chronicles and like go read it. Um, but do you have anything else you would recommend? I want to quickly recommend um, a genre writer who used to admit that she wasn't a genre writer, Margaret Atwood, um, especially since The Handmaid's Tale uh, TV series is coming out soon, starring Elizabeth Moss from Mad Men and Rory Gilmore, uh, Alexis Bledel from Gilmore Girls. Um, Also from Mad Men. She was on Mad Men. Yeah, because yeah, she yeah. married what's oh, his yeah. name after oh, meeting yeah. him on set. Vincent Carthizer, That's true. Um, so Tim they, met them. Tim met him anyway. Yeah, oh, that's pretty cool. Connor from Angel. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's I mean that's the joke I made when he's like he told the story about meeting him in like Niagara on the Lake, and I was like, did you give him shit for being Connor? And he was like, no. And I was like, you should have probably. <laughs> he was awesome in Mad Men though. Yeah, uh, given uh, the Handmaid's Tale is a really uh, uh, is a post. Uh, post-apocalyptic narrative um it is a uh it's very timely right now because of uh women's reproductive rights in the united states um women are dressing up as handmaids to go protest trump like it's a very telling yeah and so it's like this i think this is going to be this book got back on the new york times bestseller list once uh donald trump came into office um because it's really important um there's also um she wrote a series called the mad adam series that starts with oryx and crake um it's also a post-apocalyptic narrative about like our uh what happens when we um overproduce and start doing too much with like bioengineering and creating plagues that we can't control um so highly recommend margaret atwood even though she used to say that she wasn't a genre writer she's kind of softened on that a little bit um so go read those cool christy i would again i would just suggest uh neil gaiman's short fictions um that he does i would even suggest the audiobook versions um if you're looking for something just to listen to in passing because he reads them and it's mind-blowingly good like i so good he's a phenomenal narrator um i'm trying to think um what books i have around me uh it's been a while since i've picked up a solid book just to like sit down and read so uh yeah, that's that's what I would recommend for now. I'll have to come with some new recommendations if we do another book episode in the next couple months. Yeah. yeah. I think so, this is definitely a topic we'll be able to come back to a couple times because it's like, I read a lot of stuff we didn't even talk about. Like, oh, yeah. I'm a big, Vonnegut, like, I'm a big Vonnegut guy. Like, that's, mm-hmm. like, I don't, I think he may be my favorite author at this point. Like, he's the guy that I go back to a lot. Like, I know that's not surprising given he's like a giant nihilist kind of like has a very dour outlook like wow it's surprising that Mark's into Vonnegut like yeah okay I get it but um Slaughterhouse 5 is like I don't know really yeah it really changed the way I kind of approach everything fiction like all kinds of stuff it was so influential on my outlook Mm -hmm. on the world that Mm -hmm. I that would be the book I would recommend like if you haven't read Vonnegut and you're listening to this podcast like do yourself a favor and just even if you're going to listen to it because you don't like reading go listen to it like it will blow your fucking mind also and a more like um dance robot dance kind of main line mainstream kind of thing warren ellis writes a lot of prose novels now and i really recommend going and like reading his stuff he does a lot of essays too um that's he's a big comic book writer like he does that kind of stuff all the time but like he's written like crooked little vein and um 
Gun Machine are two two prose novels that he's written that are just really spectacularly well done, like well plotted, tightly written books. He's got a real knack for off kilter plots that make a lot of sense when you put them together and stuff like that, but they still feel really fucking weird. It's a lot of fun to read. So I would go read that. And if you're going to go and like shit on me in the comments about Anne Rice, go pick up The Vampire Lestat or um, the, Mayf- the Tale of the Mayfair Witches, The Witching Hour. I don't think it's about two. I don't think it's about shitting on you because of the book. I think it's about shitting on you because it's you and of the things yeah. that you are self-proclaimed about liking and the things you make fun of and the reasons you make fun of Paul and Tim and I. I think that's why people shit on you in the comics yeah, I because there's you finally a reason for us to defend though. ourselves <laughs> against your blatant I... hypocrisy. Yeah, giant hypocrite. <laughs> coming, from, coming, coming from the other blatant hypocrite on the show. I am a self-proclaimed hypocrite, though. I am a yeah. self-proclaimed hypocrite. I always tell myself, I always call it when I'm being a hypocrite, and I will always say I probably shouldn't be saying this because it's hypocritical. But you just but deny, I'm say it anyway. deny, deny. <laughs> I never deny. I just you don't acknowledge. You don't acknowledge. Just a little bitch. <sighs> All right, everyone. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs> this is an awesome episode, a lot of fun. I'm really glad we got Paul and Christy in the same podcast. Let's have more Paul and Christy. Oh, High fives oh, across the world. High fives across the world. Visual All gags. Right. <laughs> Guys, you can subscribe to us on any podcast, wherever you get your podcast love from. So Stitcher, uh, iTunes, which I now believe is being called Apple Podcast or something like that. Not iTunes anymore. Apple. I don't know what's going on with that. Uh, Stitcher, Google Play Store. Um, what's the one you use, Christy? Podcast Addict? Uh, podcast addict yeah for phones it's fantastic yeah um i've been using uh the hell is the one i'm using now Shout out. switch no uh overcast on ios is probably the best podcast app you can get um but anyway it runs through your apple itunes account so do it that way but you can subscribe to us pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts now um if you would really it would mean a lot to us if you would give us a like on our facebook page at facebook.com slash dance robot dance podcast you can follow us on Twitter at DRD underscore podcast or send us an email and you can let us know what you like to read or why you think uh, Anne Rice is awesome, I guess, or <laughs> is awesome or whatever um, at dancerobotdancepodcast at gmail.com. Also, uh, go and rate and review us on uh, yeah. iTunes. Maybe we can start moving around a little bit, like get some ratings and stuff like that, get some more people seeing the podcast now that uh, Christy's not living in shame and is actually sharing. One time I shared. You're going to have to start doing that regularly so we can build up a Once listenership. A I know. Once I had so many people commenting on it. I know you did. It was pretty it was awesome that you, you shared it. It was like a whole new segment of audience for us to reach yeah, via your friends. Yeah, except my friend Steph, who's, I was like, don't listen to this. It's not you types of funny. Don't listen to this. And my thing about Nana. Is Steph, was she the one that was on Geeks with Kids? Yes. No, that's, oh, was it? Okay. That was Mallory. Sorry, that was somebody, somebody else. Mallory's also on Geeks with Kids sometimes. Okay. Um, Yeah, we are a different kind of funny than that, but uh, we're still funny, I think, right? Yeah, we're still funny. I just don't think Steph likes hearing you and Tim make fun of me constantly. And it has, I will say this, it has lessened in the last few months. I think I'm learning how to stand up for myself. Oh, yeah. And we've also, we've we've toned it down a little bit. I've I've, I've, noticed a couple episodes where, like, you seemed a little edgier than usual. And I was like, I think maybe we are going a little hard on Christy, but that's okay. And it was yeah. nice to get back at uh, nice to get back at you with the end race thing today. That's what that's yeah, what that's I, 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 I wanted to bring it up because I'm like, hey, this gives them a free shot to take. Yeah, it felt like, good. 
Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Uh, we are out of here. Have a good night. Say good night, Christy. Adios. And from uh, soon to be war torn Korea, say good night, Paul. Good night. <laughs> Forever. 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 I'll be there. Say goodbye. <laughs> We can talk about musicals one day, Christy. The nukes will surely fly. What was that? Oh, 